Welcome back to Chat with Leaders, where we amplify the voices of leaders who use business and influence as a force for good. We believe it's their example that will have a tremendous impact on our next generation of servant leaders who will carry us forward into our bright, sustainable future. In today's episode, Jeff Bond and co-host for this episode, Vicki Flyer-Hudson, chats with Samaya Khalifa, president and CEO of Khalifa Consulting. Samaya is a highly regarded coach, trainer, and consultant specializing in intercultural communications, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as the founder and executive director of the Islamic Speakers Bureau of Atlanta. Through her consulting work, Samaya provides practical solutions to cross-cultural operations for corporate, nonprofit, and governmental institutions, while her work with the ISB connects American Muslim communities with a wide range of civic and faith-based groups, providing opportunities to learn about Islam and Muslims objectively. Today, you'll hear Samaya discuss how allyship plays a role in promoting DEI, how her work in consulting and leadership training has focused on cross-cultural understanding and bridging gaps between different communities, and the challenges of viewing DEI as necessity rather than a luxury. All right, let's jump into this conversation. Over to you, Jeff and Vicki. Samaya, welcome to Chat with Leaders. I am just so glad that this day has finally come upon us. You have quickly become one of my favorite people to talk to. Oh, thank you so much. And I am so uh, honored to have my business partner and co-host for this show today, Vicki Flyer-Hudson. Vicki, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. And yeah. so good to see you, Samaya. Same here, Vicki. And the beauty is you two go way back. And I thought it would be more than appropriate to have all three of us having this conversation about DE&I as a necessary investment uh, rather than a luxury expense. I think we've seen in this time of post-COVID that there have been a lot of investments uh, into this area for a lot of businesses and hiring you know, serious leadership titles. But uh, unfortunately, you know, in a lot of cases, these are some of the first titles uh, that have been let go and in tough economic patches. So we want to talk about uh, the importance of this. But before we do that, Sumaya, I wanted to jump into your story. Can you share a little bit more with our audience about your journey from Egypt to the United States and how that shaped your perspective on leadership through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Sure. Thank you so much for the question. What an honor to be here speaking with you. Um, yeah. So um, I was born in Egypt, uh, raised in Alexandria, Egypt, went to French Catholic schools that were run by nuns. Uh, mind you, I'm a Muslim. And, uh, but that was the thing, right, for a certain socioeconomic class uh, to send the girls to French schools. And uh, I was there um, until my mom and dad told us that, hey, we're moving to the U.S. and we're moving to the U.S. for, the US for a, a year. And that really was very hard for me because I was so ingrained into uh, French and the French culture and I started crying. And I remember my mom coming to me wanting to know why I was crying. And she says, are you gonna miss your school? Are you gonna miss your teachers? Are you gonna miss your family? And I said, well, no, actually, you know, I am French, uh, French culture. And we're going to an English culture country. How could that be? Because in the French, it's they're they're you know they see themselves as as elitist. You know that's the best culture ever. And so to me that was a big shock. And then coming to the states, uh, not knowing very much English, I only spoke English and Arab. I mean French and Arabic. And um, and uh, you know I I'm an extrovert. I wanted to meet people. And I remember at the hotel we were staying, I wanted to meet other kids. 
and none of them spoke French or uh, Arabic. And I was trying to come up with the best words in English that I can to make friends. And that was not possible. So coming from a majority culture and coming into a country thinking I'm still uh, a majority culture and trying to integrate and assimilate, that was, um, that was something that, uh, you know, I did automatically without really thinking about it. And until many years later, after 9-11, we were prepping for a Muslim-Jewish dialogue at a local university. And they, um, people from the synagogue and myself and others, they were in our house talking about the prepping for the uh, panel. And one of the Jewish friends said, do you consider yourself a majority? Or are you a minority? And that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said, wow. So this is when I realized, I mean, that's like many decades later that I was really a minority. I'm not part of the majority in the U.S. Yeah. And I imagine, Sumaya, that this perspective on actually having sort of both, you've had the majority perspective and the minority perspective. And I imagine now that you are thinking about how you can help others in that same situation integrate their whole selves, especially in the workplace. So you've mentioned yes. your passion for this and you've mentioned helping others uh, to do the same as maybe some of the experiences that you've had to, to, um, to work with. So how do you approach balancing faith and personal values with your professional life in the workplace and professional responsibilities? What a great question. Well, first of all, uh, I don't think faith and professional responsibilities are not connected because when we show up, wherever we show up, we are who we are. And we have so many different layers in terms of our identities and who we are. And um, organizations do themselves a disfavor by telling people, hey, leave your faith tradition at the door um, because we show up, you know, whole who we are. And so, in terms of reconciling faith and work, I think not just a given, it just happens. All our faith traditions are none. Tell us to be truthful, tell us to be respectful. All those values are ingrained in people one way or another because of their uh, moral compass. And so, but for me, as an example, as a Muslim, uh, where that might come into an issue is Muslims are not supposed to drink or um, you know, drink alcohol and uh, consume pork. What if I get a client who, you know, is a, it's a beer company? What do I do with them? Uh, I will not apply for a job at a uh, liquor or a beer or maybe even a tobacco company or someone, uh, an organization that produces bacon or, or pork because that is not my values and I would not go there. So this is the only area where I see um, as an example for me, where that would be a conflict. But otherwise, you know, working hard, getting results, um, you know, values, respecting others, uh, et cetera, those are values that align with probably 99% of the uh, organizations out there. So I don't see that they're uh, independent of each other. They could be woven into each other and really leveraging that to get better results for organizations. 
Yeah, and I think this is such an important conversation and not something that uh, many organizations lean into because it can be uncomfortable. And I, I honestly, I feel a very profound sense of connectedness with both of you. And uh, let's say how it is. I'm a Christian, you're Muslim, Vicky's Jewish, and here we are together having a conversation about showing up as our full selves in the workplace. But with those competing identities, you know, comes this need uh, to really understand one another and to listen and to, to be intentionally inclusive. You had actually said to me when we were getting to know one another that you saw me as an ally, which was very touching. I really do try to show up in the workplace in that way. So how do you see allyship playing a role in promoting DEI in the workplace and beyond? And what can individuals do to become more effective at being allies? Wow, that is an amazing question. Thank you so much for asking that. Um, I think allyship and allies have such a key role that is so understated that needs to be magnified. And thank you for the question because we need to magnify it. An ally is someone who is from a majority group um, that they need to own their privilege, whether it is their uh, gender, whether it is their race, whether it is their experience, whether whatever, sexual orientation, you name it. And there's someone who wants to make change happen. They have compassion, they have empathy, and they need to be able to own up to their privilege. Sometimes people are afraid to own up to their privilege, but to be an ally, one must own up to their privilege. And they must educate themselves. Um, to know more about people around them, to create a, a culture of belonging in the workplace. And then they need to resist assuming what others know or what they need. Because a lot of times, hey, we know exactly what you need because that's what we think, you know, you need. That's, that's you know, let's, let's check ourselves there. And being able to practice the art of empathetic listening. And not just to listen to answer, but really listen to understand and empathize and see the other point of view. And um, it's easy for human beings to put people in boxes. And the example I like to use is I'm a short person. And whenever, you know, someone sees a short person, they automatically put them in a certain box. Um, you know, let's not do that. Let's get to know people as people. And we'll be really surprised at how much we have in common. And that's an exercise I love to do with my um, with my clients is find someone that you think is so different from you and sit down and have a conversation with them uh, and, and, you know, be surprised, be very pleasantly surprised. And then speaking, you know, they've done all their legwork, they know what's going on, they know the other story, et cetera, and then owning their privilege and being able to be um, an advocate for the my, um, marginalized groups that they might be allies to. Yeah, and I think that, Samaya, you've mentioned multiple different aspects of this. So whether that's faith, whether that's gender, let's talk about culture a little bit. So you and I, of course, go way back and we met as uh, people who are interested in the cross-cultural consulting field. And we were both really kind of getting started in that field when we met like ages ago. <laughs> so uh, I've loved seeing how this field has grown and sort of played out in the workplace, but how do you think organizations can create a culture of belonging for employees with diverse cultures, but also backgrounds, experiences? There's so many forms of, you know, how culture plays a role. So how, how do you think that we can create a culture of belonging? 
Uh, Vicki, I look at you as a mentor. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you and appreciate everything that you've done for me and continue to you know, work together and, and make the world a better place. So I appreciate you. Um, creating a culture, well, first of all, diversity is a given. And when we look at our world, when we look at our different markets that we want to go into, when we look at our own population in the U.S., we don't even have to go anywhere. Uh, just looking at our diverse population right here. And so diversity is a fact, but inclusion is an act. So for us to be inclusive, we have to have that, that outlook that we need to do something about it. We need to leverage that diversity because what happens if we just bring in diverse people because that's the population we have and we don't create a culture of belonging where everybody feels like, hey, this is my organization. I need to do the best that I can. Um, then that's gonna be a revolving door as employers. People will come in, they don't feel comfortable. They're gonna go somewhere else where they feel more comfortable. And so it, it is a must, it's a business uh, imperative to create a culture of belonging. And inclusive leaders are really effective leaders. I don't see them being one or the other. Effective leadership is inclusive leadership. Uh, being able to have empathy, which is a big, big field right now, and empathetic leaders you know, uh, have an advantage over others who don't practice empathy. Uh, being able to listen, being able to welcome people as they are, work with them, um, and all those things are key elements for taking organizations to the next level. Um, you know, one of the simple things that I always tell my clients is, do you have a diversity calendar? Uh, do you know what's going on in people's lives that work under your roof? Uh, this is no longer just a Christmas culture. We are so diversified that we need to be able to acknowledge holidays, whether they're religious or cultural. Um, I know in the city of Atlanta, for example, last week, they'd had an Aru's uh, celebration, which is the Persian New Year. Um, and they have two city council people who are of uh, Persian background. So, you know, they felt included. They felt like they belonged. So those practices are really, really important. Wow, you just dropped so many great nuggets in that segment alone. I just want to—I want to repeat back some of the things that I heard. Diversity is a gift. Wow, you're so right about that. It's—it's it's a fact, and inclusion is an act. <laughs> that's just amazing. Listen back on that. That's a—that's very quotable. It's a business imperative, and I—and I love you know this idea that effective leadership is—is is inclusive leadership. I couldn't agree with you more. No longer just a Christmas culture. That's challenging to me. I have to think about that, you know, in my role and celebrating that as our major holiday. So thank you for that. With your experience leading the Islamic Speakers Bureau and promoting interfaith understanding, which here we are as an interfaith community, the three of us having this wonderful conversation, how do you think faith can play a role in promoting diversity and inclusion in the workplace and society as a whole? Uh, let me give you an example that just happened last night. So um, I was invited to speak at a Unity Seder, which is the Jewish holiday that's coming up. And I was sitting at a table that had Catholics, that had uh, people of the Jewish tradition, that had uh, Protestant, that had, you know, we were eight and we were all very diverse. And they were like judges, real estate um, investors, I mean, you name it, and they were at our table. And just sitting around the table and listening to each other's stories. And uh, again, this is a Passover uh, unity Seder. 
And talking about our experiences, building bridges of understanding, we were no longer the Catholic or the Muslim or the Jew or whatever uh, that we were at the table. We were at table eight, getting to know each other, sharing experiences and, and down to our really our humanity and what we have in common. I think that is very, 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 very powerful. And people said, how can we repeat this? We need to do more of this because that's how we build community. This is how we build uh, you know, societies. This is how we build uh, communities and, and, and cities that really care about each other. And um, I wanna take that to the workplace. The only place that we have are exposed to diversity it's not in our neighborhoods, it's not in our places of worship, it's not our anywhere else but in the workplace. And the workplace has so much power to leverage that and to be able to say, uh, we want you to create a culture of belonging. This is how change happened at the workplace and also in societal uh, communities. So this is very powerful uh, position for employers to be in. So I think that there has been this theme throughout our conversation today about how imperative uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity are, and yet there is in these economic times a trend of DEI consultants or even DEI roles within organizations being the first to be cut, as Jeff mentioned earlier. So in your experience, how can we get organizations to start viewing DEI as a necessary investment instead of a luxury expense because they, there's so much data out there that proves that this is the case and and yet it's still happening that these roles are getting cut. So what would be your advice? Um, I wish I had the magic wand, Vicki, but <laughs> yeah. um, it, here, here are my thoughts on that. And that is having allies of DEI, uh, corporations, employers that know it works and be the cheerleaders for it. And DEI really needs to be ingrained like safety has been ingrained in organizations. I know 20, 30 years ago, nobody really thought about safety as a big deal, but now you can't go anywhere. I know even in meetings, um, you know, they start off by here's in case of a fire, here's how you get out, right? Um, and all those safety protocols have been ingrained over a short few decades into the DNA of organizations. We need to follow the same path um, as employers in ingraining the importance of diversity, equity, inclusion in the workplace. I wanna, I wanna share an example here. There is a, um, there is a conference that happens every year uh, from the Freedom Forum uh, business uh, sec section, and it's called Dare to Overcome. And they are really big on bringing faith into the workplace. And they bring in many organizations that do bring faith in under the diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, like American Airlines, like um, uh, Tyson Foods, and et cetera. And they bring those people in. And each one of those organizations brings others in with them to hear the story. Even Google, when we go to Google and there is a holiday that is a main, not a mainstream holiday, uh, when you go there, you see a picture and then you, you, it gives you an uh, idea of what that holiday is, information about it. That came out of their interfaith ERG. And so they added to the business by making Google that much more inclusive, not only for their employees, but for the world. 
And that is just so powerful as an example. How can all other organizations and employers take that same model and make it happen for them and leverage that power? Because when we don't leverage it, it just sits there. It's, it's like having a 401k and you don't put the money in and you don't get the match. So if we don't leverage it, then we're leaving money on the table. I love that uh, analogy of the 401k. I think that's 100% spot on. Me too. I think it's great. And the uh, idea that I got out of that too is an interfaith ERG for one reason or the other. It's not occurred to me. I've thought of things like, and I've heard things like having corporate chaplains or, you know, bringing faith into the workplace. And I'm going to champion that with you, my friend. I mean, I think that's an important part of our whole self that we often leave at the door. And sometimes we feel a little lost in the workplace because we can't you know, be our full selves, but in an intentional way where interfaith is part of it. And you said earlier that sometimes having intention to get to know someone unlike you is such a gift. And and I couldn't agree with you more. I always enjoy that opportunity to learn from other perspectives and, um, and challenge my own belief systems and, um, you know, underlining, you know, biases that I, that I might have too. So just sorry, I just, the idea of an interfaith ERG, I can just really see that being an important discussion because it isn't, I think it's not really there. It's, it's kind of an invisible part of diversity. Uh, Definitely as a, as a Jewish person, I can vouch for that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that part of me feels very invisible in the workplace. There's no real discussions around it. And so, uh, yeah, because the first inclination, it seems like always is to have an ERG that supports one faith an individual faith and people can come together and feel some psychological safety around that. But to, but to open up a forum where they can be psychologically safe, talking about the broader context of faith, but really getting to know other perspectives, like just having that curiosity to, to learn and to be able to, to coexist in the world, you know, without being ignorant to, you know, the, the ways things are in other places and spaces and people. Well, you know, you, you dropped so much uh, good nuggets here today, Samaya. And, you know, I always like to kind of land the plane with maybe one big thing that you would hope other professionals and particularly leaders in workplaces uh, that you would hope that they would take away from this to create meaningful change and promote inclusion in their organizations. If they were to hear one thing today from you, uh, how would you how would you summarize that? I would say uh, my challenge would be how can each of us, each one of us, uh, become a more effective leader? What can we do day in and day out? One one small act to be a more more effective leader. And again, effective leadership is inclusive leadership. Wow. Vicki? Uh, I think that is the perfect call to action for our leaders uh, because one pattern that I have observed in Sumaya, I'm sure you have too, is if the top leader in an organization is not committed to inclusion, then it's very difficult. You can have other other leaders within the organization who are committed, but if that top leader is not committed, so how can, yeah, how can those top leaders uh, model and show commitment to inclusion in even small ways? I think that is so important. So we are so appreciative of, I can say that Sumaya has done more for inclusion and belonging and diversity than just about anyone I know. Uh, So I'm just honored to be your friend and 
your colleague and just love seeing everything you've done to help the world. Yeah. Amen. And I want to thank you for coming on. We'll, of course, be listing a bunch of resources in the show notes where people can come and follow you and learn more about some of the great work that you're putting out there in your business. Uh, so we've had this uh, great opportunity to talk with you, Samaya. Thank you so much uh, for your gift of time and your leadership. Thank you so much. What an honor to be with you all. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another edition of Chat with Leaders. Thank you for investing your time with us today. If you haven't already, we would be grateful if you shared this episode with a friend and rated it on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts so we can pass down the wisdom from our guests to more aspiring leaders. If you're interested in launching a professional podcast to grow your business, we would love to help. Check out chatwithleaders.com for more information and feel free to reach out by emailing team at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again and go be a leader worth following.